Today's show is brought to you by HANA. For the past few years, I've been taking HANA One, an all-natural daily superfood with 30 wild-harvested herbs and adaptogens to improve focus, boost immunity, and increase stamina. HANA also sources the purest, highest-quality ashwagandha and turmeric. To get 20% off your first purchase, visit HANA.com, that's H-A-N-A-H.com, and enter the code CHAMPION20. Hello and welcome to the Champion Conversations podcast, where my co-host, sports psychologist Jim Aframo, and I take you inside the mental game of high performers. If you've ever wanted to learn how elite athletes, coaches, creators, and entrepreneurs use their mindset to overcome setbacks, serve as great leaders and teammates, and achieve their full potential, then you've come to the right place. I'm Phil White, and we're glad you're listening today. Today's guest is Jim Harshaw Jr. He is an NCAA Division I All-American wrestler, former Division I head coach, internationally recognized TEDx speaker, personal performance coach, and host of the Success Through Failure podcast. Having spent his life surrounded by Olympians and millionaires, Jim has discovered the systems and frameworks used for world-class performance. He has impacted hundreds of thousands of lives across the world by helping clients and audiences increase resilience, maximize potential, and build high-performing teams. His clients include CEOs, entrepreneurs, and leaders from Fortune 500 companies, as well as current and former athletes from the NFL, UFC, NCAA, and Olympics. Thanks so much for joining us today, Jim. Thanks for being. Thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, it's great to reconnect with you. You've been on my podcast, and uh, it's super awesome to be back with you guys. Love it, and thanks so much for having such a great podcast and uh, including us. Uh, we had so much fun, Phil and I. Uh, tell us a little bit about. Um, I love your story. I love because it, you you teach what you know. You preach kind of what you you know your own experiences in terms of overcoming failures, overcoming setbacks, and that's not just in the way of success. That is how you achieve success. And so, tell us a little bit more about your philosophy of you know, achieving one's ultimate success. I love it. Yeah. So I started, uh, I was a wrestler, as you guys know, and um, didn't really achieve any of my goals through high school. You know, my goal is to win the Pennsylvania State Championship. I didn't even get on the podium at the state championships. But luckily, I had a couple of coaches who saw me compete and I got recruited to a great school to the University of Virginia and showed up and really just didn't even know if I had a place on the team. You know, I was more or less a, a recruited walk-on. And, you know, my roommate was a Pennsylvania state champion, one of the best guys in the country. And our recruiting class was ranked top 10 in the country. And, you know, like I said, I didn't know if I really had a spot on the team, but I redshirted that year. And then my, my, my redshirt freshman year, so my first year competing, um, I, I just I realized, like, I, th- I think I belong here, right? And, and so I set a pretty lofty goal of becoming a Division I All-American. And uh, I, you, first, you have to actually qualify for the national championships to become an All-American. And I qualified my freshman year for the national championships. But I got there and I failed. Um, my, my sophomore year, again, I qualified for the national championships. But I failed. You know, my junior year was pretty much a repeat of the prior two years. I got to the national championships and my season ended with me in the locker room in tears, you know, 
wondering what's wrong with me. Well, why can't I do this? Maybe I'm not good enough or smart enough or not capable enough. And, you know, this has like been my life story to this point is like, I'm pretty good, but just not good enough to, to do anything really meaningful at a high level. And, and, and I, I spent my entire off season that at the end of my junior year, trying to figure out what is it that I'm missing? Like, do I need to, to get stronger? Um, do I have to, to run more miles? Do I have to watch more film? Do I need to learn new techniques? Like, what is it that, I, that, I'm, that I'm not doing well enough? And I, and I really knew that, like, I couldn't run more miles. I couldn't lift more weights. There's not, you know, there's, I couldn't watch more film. There's just not enough hours in the day. And so I spent that entire off season just trying to figure out that missing link. And, and I, you know, trained all, everywhere I could, got in front of as many coaches as I could and, and, and asked them all the questions and was just picking their brains. And, and I never figured it out. And I went into my senior year. It was the night before the opening competition. And, and it was at the West Virginia Open at the University at the West WVU. And I realized I, I never figured it out. I never figured out that thing that I'm missing. And, and so in that moment, I gave up on, on the outcome. And I just said, all I can do is all I can do. I can focus on the process. I can do my best. And, and whatever the outcome is, if I ended up on the podium, awesome. If I don't, I can lay my head on the pillow at night knowing I did everything I possibly could. Well, I woke up the next day. I ripped through the competition. I went 5-0. and oh, And that was pretty much the story of my season. I had so much fun competing that year. And I get to the national championships. And this time I won my first several matches. And and now I've got to face the, the fourth ranked wrestler in the country. He's ranked, he's on the number one ranked team in the country, University of Minnesota. And I've got to face down my fears. I've got to face down all of my failures, all of my doubts, and not to mention this guy who's standing in front of me between me and my dream. And if I win this match, I become an All-American. And there's 15,000 people in the arena. And, and it all comes down to seven minutes. And the referee blows the whistle. And, and seven minutes later, uh, I get my hand raised. I'm an All-American. And it was this journey of failures that led me to the epiphany. And if it weren't for those failures, I would have never gotten on the podium. Right? I would have never learned the lessons that I got to learn if I had to quit or, or, you know, like the, the lessons that I teach now today in my, in my coaching practice come from that experience. And, and let me share a, a sort of a, another version of that story that happened in the real world. So, you know, I, I come to the end of my wrestling career and I've got, you know, two degrees from a great school and I'm an all American. I'm invited to live and train at the Olympic training center. I'm kind of on top of the world. And this sets me off on a trajectory of success where, you know, I've become the youngest division one head wrestling coach in the country. And I coached for a little over a decade and got out of coaching, started my first business. And that was a success and started my next business, raised some angel capital, started a technology company. And, and once again, I ended up at the bottom. I ended up with a, a failed business, uh, struggling marriage, uh, was physically in the worst physical shape of my life. Um, wasn't spending enough time with my kids. We had dead up to our eyeballs. I was like broke and broken. And, and, and I, I realized I, I went back to, there was a, there was a moment where I'm like close, shutting down the business and I'm scrolling for looking on like Craigslist for jobs, you know, scrolling past jobs for like paper boys and unpaid internships. And I'm thinking like, how, like, how did I get here? Like this wasn't supposed to be my trajectory. 
And, you know, after I had achieved success, after you achieve success in sports, it's supposed to teach all these great life lessons. And I didn't know what those lessons were until that moment. And, and I'm, I'm in failure again. And I realized there was a framework that was in place in my life when I was performing at the highest level. And, and I kind of looked back and I, 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 I did some journaling and some real deep internal work and, and figured out like what that framework was. And I put that back in place in my life and it changed everything for me. I tripled my income and healed my relationship with my wife and, you know, got back in physical, physically in, in, in great shape again. And, and that's, that's the basis of, of what I do now, right? It's like, so again, you know, this, these moments of failure have been my greatest epiphanies and my greatest successes have become not despite those failures, but because of them. And that's, those are the conversations that I have with people is, is you know, especially on the podcast is, is talking to these world-class performers and pulling back the curtain on like, tell me about, sure, tell me about your success and your habits and all those great things, but but let's talk about failure and the role of failure in your success. And, and when you look at world-class performers, as you guys know, success is, it's just part of the story. They're not immune to it. It's just part of the story. Yeah. I, I really love that because, you know, those are really character defining moments for all of us. And uh, one Olympic champion that I worked with, it was really neat. I, I asked him, you know, when, when you do really well, uh, what do you say to yourself? And he said, man, that's fun. I want to do it again. And I said, when you don't do really well, and he said, yeah, I have a lot of those moments as well. Uh, I said, you know, I asked, what do you, what do you say to yourself then? And he said, oh man, I just get more driven, you know, like, cause I want to figure this out. And so, uh, that's the neat thing is that, you know, these setbacks, um, really, you know, we determine how far they set us back really. And, uh, if we can focus on the comeback, then, you know, and start loving what's next instead of hating what happened, uh, beautiful things could come out of it. And and what I love about your story is you did it as an athlete and then as a professional in your career. So um, I love that you have, uh, you know, you went two for two in those character defining moments. Yeah, that's right. And and let me pull back the curtain on, on this Olympic athlete who you just mentioned, who said, I get more driven. And for, for the listener out there, you've got to understand like this Olympic athlete who, who Jim's talking about, he's not immune to like the negative effects too. Like he, he's, he's not like, Hey, this is great. I failed. All right, let's go. No, he's like, he's, you know, laying in a heap in tears, you know, after the competition too. Right. He's, you know, upset and frustrated and goes through those emotions too. But the outcome that he had, the, the, the override, the mental override, the words and the language that he uses helps him benefit from that failure. So they're not immune. Like these world-class performers, they're not immune to those negative effects too. They just choose to, to look at it differently, like physically, like override the default feelings and go, okay, I'm more driven now. Let's, let's figure this thing out. Yeah. I think they go through those, uh, that grieving process, just like we all do, uh, except they're a little quicker with it. <laughs> you know, they don't pitch mm -hmm. a 10 sure. in, that, in, in that failure. Um, you know, it stings, it hurts, uh, it's painful and it, and, and they feel it for a while, but then it's like, okay, what's next. And then that energy they take with them and, um, uh, and achieve things that maybe weren't possible otherwise. So yeah, I, I, I really get a kick out of that. And can I go, you know, go a little deeper on one thing you just mentioned, like they don't stay there as long. There was a study that came out of the Kellogg school of management, uh, Northwestern business school, where they studied 
uh, they studied failures in, in three different areas. Number one was um, uh, app, grant applications to the NIH, National Institutes of Health. The second was uh, startup, like venture-backed startup companies. And the third was actually terrorist attacks. So they studied these three groups and they looked at all the ones that were successes, if you can call it terrorist attack a success, right? But they looked at all the ones who had achieved their goal and, you know, got the grant application, became a successful company or, or, or executed the terrorist attack. One thing they learned, the, the common theme between all of the ones who, who executed their mission, who, who found success in the end, they had all failed to begin with. But the difference is between the ones who never succeeded, the, the ones who, who failed and never found success and the ones who failed and then found success, the, the theme, the one thing, the one common thread between all the successes is the amount of time in between attempts. So their time between attempts was shorter on average than those who failed and kept on failing. So when you fail, it, you, you've got to learn from it and get up and try again. Hence what you're saying, Jim, makes, makes 100% sense. They just don't stay there that long. Yeah, absolutely. It seems that um, from you know listening to a lot of your shows and, and reading a lot of your materials that a beginner's mindset is, uh, you know, not being afraid to have this kind of white belt mentality is, is a big part of what, what you've done. Could you talk to us a little bit about how that pertained to becoming, you know, the youngest, maybe it still is, but at the time, the youngest head wrestling coach in the country? Yeah, so... So I, I, I knew that as a wrestler, I needed coaches. I needed people who had been there, done that around me. And, and then getting into the coaching world, it was the same way, right? The, the reason that I, I was able to land that job and find success in that job was because I, I had people, I, I chose to have people around me. I, I asked for help. I asked for mentorship. I said, hey, like I, I'm trying to get this job. I'm trying to get to my next level now as a professional, now as a coach, like, can you help me? And, you know, we, we see that in the world of athletes. Like we just assume like that's, of course, a coach has to have an athlete. Of course, of course, Tom Brady has to have a coach, right? He doesn't just have a coach. He has multiple coaches, right? He has nutrition coaches and, and uh, performance coaches and mindset coaches and, and all, you know, speed and agility coaches. He has all these coaches. We just assume that, right? And this is the, this guy's the best in the world. He's probably the best who's ever played the game. Well, well, why not us? Like, what, what about us? Like out in the real world, right? Whether you're a, a mother or a father, uh, you're a professional athlete or a coach, or you're in sales or you're an executive, it, it doesn't matter. Like if you don't have a coach, yeah, sure. You can do it on your own. You're not going to, you're not going to find the success that you would have had. Like Tom Brady would have been a pretty good quarterback if he didn't have a coach, all these coaches, it'd have been pretty good. Would he have been the goat? The goat? No, he wouldn't have been. And so we have to approach life with the beginner's mind. We know it makes sense for sports and it, it makes sense in the real world too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, talk to us a little bit more about that period and kind of going from, you know, rookie coach on, on the first day, if you remember that to, through some of those mentoring experiences. And then, as you said, what happened being, you know, in that role for over a decade? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, first day on the job, you just have no, no idea. Um, I, I, as I mentioned to you guys, I interviewed Robert O'Neill, who is the, uh, the Navy SEAL on SEAL Team 6, who actually shot and killed Osama bin Laden. And in that conversation, he talked a lot about these, these, the, the first day, 
right? He, that this sort of concept of the first day, like everybody has a first day. He's like, I had a first day uh, in the Navy, a first day as uh, going through Navy SEAL training, a first day as the Navy SEAL, a first day in combat, a uh, first day after retirement. Uh, coming out of the seals and losing that whole infrastructure that was around him. Uh, he talked about the first day uh, of him standing on stage, recounting the story of the mission when they killed bin Laden. And, and we all have these first days and they're scary and they're hard, but you can't get to day two and month two and year two unless you go through that. And, and so for me, yeah, stepping on campus and, and, you know, realizing like, oh, I, I, really, I don't know what I'm doing here <laughs> was, was scary and hard. But thankfully, I was surrounded by, again, a lot of amazing coaches, a lot of people um, that, I, that I chose to, to bring into my orbit and keep into my orbit. Uh, I'd always go to the National Wrestling Coaches Association convention every year. Uh, I took an online, actually, it was, a, a, yeah, it was, I guess, it was an online course can, for the most part. Even back then, it was early 2000s. Uh, but I took an online course. Uh, about coaching to become a better coach. It was this process of consistent learning that that helped me find any success. And, and it was hard. I mean, coaching is a hard thing anyway. You guys know this well. Um, Jim, you work with with tons of coaches. And you know the you know the national wrestling championships just happened. And there was an interview with with the head coach at my alma mater, Steve Garland, the at University of Virginia. And there's an interview posted on on Twitter of him, you know, Practically, I mean, he, he was choking up and almost crying in the interview because one of his wrestlers lost the match and it was a really two questionable, pre-questionable calls and, and he's brokenhearted. It's so emotionally draining and soul crushing, right? And you, you have weddings and funerals within moments of each other, right? You're on these highs and lows and that's what the life of a coach is. And so it takes some real adjusting. And if you don't have the right infrastructure around you, the right people, the right coaches, um, you're just going to languish and you're just going to really, really suffer. Um, and so I, I've, I've always kept those, those mentors close to me and, and close around me. And, and here's, here's one reason why I'll give you an example. I had, uh, I had a, uh, one of my wrestlers who, uh, he was a walk-on and I really liked the kid. He was a, a really hard worker and, um, enjoyed coaching him. And, he, he had to, he got himself over his weight class a little bit too far. And, and I called him one day, I'm like, Hey, we need you to, we need you to on, on Saturday to, to weigh in and, and wrestle. You know, the starter got hurt. You're up. And I didn't, I didn't know what his weight was. He just kind of went through the process of cutting the weight and, and getting down to weight. And, and, um, and then after the weekend had ended the, and I knew he was cutting some weight, didn't know exactly the number of pounds, but he was cutting weight and, and I knew he struggled, but he made weight and uh, he wrestled for the weekend. And then the next week, my athletic director called me into the office. It's like getting called to the principal's office, you know, and I walk into his office and I say, uh, yeah, hey, what's up? And he said, close the door. I said, oh, he said, I got a call from, from Dan's father. He said that you locked him in the boiler room for him to make weight last weekend. And my, my jaw hit the floor. And I'm like, you know, backpedaling. And what are you talking about? Like, that didn't happen. He goes, he goes, hold on, hold on, hold on, Jim. He goes, and he smiled. He goes, that would be a problem if we actually had a boiler room. 
we don't even have there there was like this obviously this this never took place and there was just this uh i think this kid probably told his dad this because he was probably trying to defend himself or something like that but the the story got and maybe it was a game of telephone where the story got got you know changed a little bit from person to person by the time it got back around to me um but these daggers that just they hit you in the back from people who you you love and you pour your heart into them and you support them and you get these these daggers just get stuck into your back and I walk back over to my office and I walk straight down the hall to the women's head soccer coach. And she's amazing. And I sat down, I said, Noreen, like this just, ha- just happened to me. She goes, well, welcome to coaching. <laughs> you know, this kind of thing happens. And, uh, and, and so you have to have these people. Like when, when I talked to her, I was so thankful to have that sounding board, to have that person in my life who, who I could lean on and who had been there before. It's not, just for athletes, we have to have these people in our, in our universe, in the real world to mentors and sponsors, et cetera. Yeah. I love uh, how Jack Nicholas would talk about, uh, you know, that he's not too proud to get help. Um, you know, why would anyone else be too proud to get help? And, you know, when, and this is when he was the greatest golfer in the world. And, you know, he said, man, I, it started every year. I go over the fundamentals again with Jim Flick, his uh, swing coach at the time, you know, let's go over grip, stance, alignment, those kind of things. Uh, let's be brilliant with the basics and, and, um, and then we'll go from there. But, uh, you know, and then look at Tiger Woods, you know, in the running for also the best golfer of all time. Uh, he hasn't had a shortage of coaches or, or, you know, help around him. And um, so I do like the idea that, you know, there's a little bit of us that, you know, with, with our, you know, maybe coming from ego where we want to feel, you know, self-made, um, but when you think about it, you know, do we make our own clothes? Do we, you know, make our own car? Do we make our own house? Do, you know, like we're, we're dependent on others. And so it's, it's not necessarily being independent or being dependent. It's being dependent in a good way versus in a not so good way. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, a lot of times, you know, athletes might say to me, hey, you know, this Ben Hogan or, you know, these, you know, long time ago, they didn't have a sports psychologist. You know, why do I need one? It's well, you know, uh, do you have the time to spend 10, 15 years figuring out your game like Ben Hogan did? You know, the yeah. competition's too stiff nowadays. And then as you're saying, you know, just from a coaching perspective, the demands are too hard. You know, we, we live in this, what do you got for me today kind of society. And so you need to bring your A game as much as possible. And so I agree with you, don't be too proud to get help. And what I love about what you're saying too is, um, you know, just have that growth mindset, you know, reach out to people, you know, learn from others. And so it's, it's being open-minded, which shows that you could build your confidence through humility, not just arrogance, you know, like I'm the best. Imagine on your, on day one, if you had the attitude, I know everything. Yeah. Wouldn't have worked. Wouldn't have worked. You know, like there's a great quote from Arnold Schwarzenegger. He said, you can call me Arnie. You can call me Arnold. You can call me Schwartzy. You can call me anything you want, but never call me a self-made man. This is a guy who's achieved success in everything he's done, right? At the highest level, at a world-class level. And, and he's, he's a guy who knows that he didn't get there alone. Yeah, 100%. Um, during that period, as you went from kind of rookie coach and, you know, just kind of got into, as you said, day two, and then suddenly day two is month two, and then suddenly it's year two. What, what were some things in your mental game that you worked on during that time to kind of help, you know, help keep you there, but then also help keep you growing? Um, I, I, w- I wish I had known then what I know now. 
right? I was a young coach and I, I, you know, I didn't do the mental work that I did as an athlete. And I mean, now I do, this is what I coach my clients to do. And, you know, the visualization that I did as an athlete, I didn't do that as a coach, right? Um, the writing down of my goals, I did that as, as a coach, but I didn't do it to the depth that I did as an athlete. Um, and so, so working on the, the mental game wasn't something that I, I did as much, as much as I should have, frankly. And, and looking back, I go, you know, where I am at now as a, as a business owner, as an executive coach and a speaker, and I get to work with these world-class companies, like I only got here because of, not only because of the experiences, the highs, the lows, the ups and the downs, the successes, the failures, but also because of the mental work that I did on myself, right? Writing out my goals, visualizing my goals, like seeing things happening in my head. As a matter of fact, I just had a, a, a goal achieved this morning that I've been visualizing for a few years. It was this, it's this huge goal uh, to get a, a certain size contract with a certain type of company and it's, it's here. It landed, it landed this morning. And, but I'd been visualizing that. I've been feeling that and experiencing that for years. And, and now it's here. And, and so you have to do this. Stuff. Like, again, we, we know this, we know this is right for athletes. This is right in the real world too. I have a friend, one of my clients, uh, he actually works with a, a, an MMA fighter named Cody Law. He's one of the top fighters in Bellator. He's probably going to make it into the UFC and, and be very, very good. But he, he wrote down, uh, he was going to get a knockout in a minute and 17 into the first round of his last fight. And 117, he gets the knockout. And my friend who, who is his coach, my, my client actually, who is his coach, texted me a picture. He said, you're not going to believe this, but the not, this, you know, this is what Cody wrote in his journal the day before. And he, he snapped a picture and sent it to me that at 117. So obviously he's working on his mental game. And this is the same thing that has to happen in the real world. When you, when you talk to these world-class performers in, in business and in life and as professionals, they're working on their mental game. They're writing down their goals. They're visualizing their goals. They're uh, saying mantras, changing the words that they say internally and externally to fit the person that they want to be. Yeah, what what you see is often what you get. And um, yeah, in that example, 117, he probably should have said, I will finish the fight in 117 or less. <laughs> so, yeah. He might have been able to do it uh, quicker. <laughs> That's that. right. Um, like a minute too long, probably. <laughs> yeah, I, I love visualization because it's such a, you know, you, it, we get to use our imagination. We all have wonderful imaginations and, and we, that kind of goes away as we grow up and, you know, but, it be, it, but it's still as important as ever. Um, on this journey that you're sharing with us um, from, you know, good to great in your own life, not only as a wrestler, as a coach and, and, and um, you know, as, as a leadership expert, who stands out, you know, maybe athletes when you were younger or an athlete when you were younger or, or leaders, you know, coaches that you looked up to uh, that really inspired you to want to do this? Yeah. So uh, I'll point out one in particular because there were so many, so many. Um, so uh, a couple of years into my college career, a guy by the name of John McGovern showed up and John was the assistant coach for University of Iowa. 
and he was a, a division three wrestler, like a three-time uh, national champion. I think division three worked his way into the Iowa program, which for anybody out there, Iowa is a, a perennial powerhouse for decades and decades, uh, successful college wrestling program. And, and John shows up as our assistant coach at Virginia. And my first experience with John was uh, we were in the weight room and coach brought him in. This is like very, very early in the, in the school year. We had not met this new coach yet. And the head coach brings him in and introduces him to the group. And he said, okay, guys, go ahead and, you know, do your lift. Right. And our strength coach kind of tells us what to do. And, and I'm, I'm doing uh, low rows an exercise called low rows, right? I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on the machine and I, I bang out my, my 10 to 12 reps. And John comes walking over and he, and he looks at me and I stood up and walked away and he, and he goes, sit down. And I sat down. And he pulled out the pin and dropped it down about three or four blocks. He says, now do it. And I banged out like another 10 reps. And he goes, Jim, like, that's what you need to do, right? Push yourself on every single set. And you know what? My form wasn't perfect on my last several reps. I just had to gut it out and, and you know, do the, do the reps as best I could. They got pretty ugly towards the end. But that's it. Like that's life. Like that's that's how you have to approach uh, a set. That's how you have to approach a wrestling match. That's how you have to approach uh, uh, getting through a final in in college. That's how you have to approach getting your promotion. You've got to put. You got to set the bar high. You got to push yourself, and it and it may not be ugly. It may not be picture perfect, but that's how you get there. And and he started telling me uh, that I could be a national champion. I'm like a national champion. Like. I'm just, you know who I am. You know what I've done, which is nothing, but I can be, in, I think you got the wrong guy here, but he believed in me at this, this deep level to the point of this, my sophomore year, we go to the national championships. National championships are at the university of Northern Iowa in their dome out there. And it's Dan Gables last year, again, for the, for the not, you know, it's 1997 for those who I didn't don't know who Dan Gable is. He's He's up there with Bear Bryant and John Wooden is the greatest coaches of all time of any sport. And so it's this John, Dan Gables last year, John is in my ear and he's, he's telling me, Jim, you got this. You can do great here. And I've got to wrestle a guy by the name of Lincoln McElravey. Lincoln McElravey, if, I, if anybody wants to Google him, Google a picture of Lincoln McElravey. He's like a, an animal. Like you would never want to face this guy in a dark alley. He's, a, he's already a two-time national champion, a three-time finalist, and he's going for his another national championship his senior year and I'm a sophomore and guess who I get to wrestle in the second round I won my first match and I get to wrestle Lincoln McElravey in the second round well John my coach knows him personally like has trained with him has actually trained Lincoln at Iowa and John starts getting in my ear telling me I'm gonna beat this guy I'm gonna beat I'm gonna beat Lincoln McElravey I'm like I, I believed him I fell for it I believed him and all in. I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat him. This guy has not been beaten all year. Nobody's come close to him. I step on the mat and I proceeded to get my tail handed to me. <laughs> so that's not the story, the ending that everybody was like hoping for or expecting, but here's what changed. Here's what changed in my life. That moment, that wrestling match was a pivotal moment for me because I realized that my only shot was to believe. My only chance was to believe I my, my chances went from like one in a thousand to one in a hundred, but they were 10 X, right? I had a 10 time better chance of, of beating him by actually believing. 
And I lost nothing by believing. I went out the very next round and had to wrestle the sixth ranked guy in the country. And I'd never beaten anybody in the top 10 at that point. And I beat, I knocked off the sixth ranked guy only because I realized in that moment, oh, oh, it's okay to believe. It's okay to believe and still fail. Like a lot of people are afraid of, of setting their goal high of believing because like, what if I fail? Well, then if I fail, I, I, then I have no shot. I can't, I can't ever set that goal again. No, no. You look at the most successful people. They set the goal high. They set the bar high and they fail and they fail and they fail. And then they finally get there. So when you, you ask me, who is somebody who I look up to? Somebody who was a, a, a reason why I got into college coaching. And the reason why I'm, I'm standing here talking to you guys today, John McGovern believed in me at a level that I didn't believe in myself. And I always tell people, we all need a person in our lives who holds us to a higher standard than we believe that we can attain. And that was one of the people for me. Yeah, that's really profound. Um, with regard to your own journey, was there a particular moment when you knew, okay, it's time to, to step away from coaching and to, to challenge yourself in a different way and find, uh, find ways to, to grow both as a, as a person, you know, as a leader? Yes. And it was uh, early on after I had kids for me and we have, I'm married with four kids and wrestling is an all consuming job. And I'm, I'm the type of person that I can kind of go overboard. I can go all in. Right. And I'm, I'm very competitive. And, and if you're into coaching, college coaching, especially even high school coaching, it's, it's, it's consuming, you know, not only time-wise, but also emotionally. And I was showing up at home with, with not enough left in the tank for, for my family. And so I knew that this was not going to be a healthy way to live my life and a healthy way to live my marriage. And, and to be honest, that's why this, I, I didn't, still didn't learn that lesson because I went in all in on this, you know, not my first business, but my second one it went all in. And like, I was sacrificing my marriage for, for this business, right. Which I thought was really going to build this lifestyle for my family. And, and, you know, I was all in on that as well. But so I stepped out of coaching into this business because I thought to myself, like, this is going to consume me. Uh, it's going to consume my marriage. I've got kids now. I've got other stakeholders in this. It's not just me. It's not just me and my wife. There's more, more to life than, than, than just wrestling. My little you know, microcosm of the world, which is, was wrestling for, you know, the greater part of my life at that point. And I knew it was, it was time to make that shift. Yeah. And so what, what was the process there? You kind of walked us through the early days of coaching. What did the early days of uh, life in the business world look like for you? Yeah. Um, so it was, uh, um, it was my first endeavor into entrepreneurship and it was just a, a local, uh, a local business. I started, um, one of my mentors actually had, he said, um, very successful man and, and made a lot of money and a lot of different businesses. And he said, look around, Jimmy he goes, every home and every building that you'll see in this town has windows. And there's like one window cleaning business. He's like, I'm going to start a window cleaning business unless you do. I said, okay, I'll do it. Right. It's going to how to make money. So, uh, so I started a window cleaning business, ended up with uh, three trucks on the road. I just ran it from a home office. Um, and, uh, I, I, you know, had these crews on the road out doing the work. And, and it was a really interesting learning experience for me. And 
you know, I, I started reading books instead of on, on coaching uh, and books like Jim's and, and yours, Phil, like instead of reading those kind of books, I shifted into reading uh, books about business, books about creating systems and, and uh, really believe in the systems mindset. I read uh, a great book that every entrepreneur should read called the E-Myth. E stands for entrepreneur, the entre- entrepreneurial myth. And Meaning uh, just because you can bake a great cake doesn't mean you can start a, a bakery just because, um, you know, you're, you're good with a, a saw and a hammer that you can start a, a home custom home building company, right? There's so much more to it. So I started reading, reading these types of books and leadership books. And, um, and I, I realized at that moment, these are some skills that I didn't have as a coach. And that I wish I would have had as a coach, you know, how to build systems, replicable and profitable systems, that sort of thing. And so those early days were, uh, it was a lot of learning, right? A lot of you know, diving deep into learning this new thing, this, this, um, this new way of, of living and, and earning a living. So um, that, that was, uh, those were the early days of that business. And it was, it was exciting. It was a lot of fun to, to learn something new and to, to go all in in a, a different category of my life. Yeah, Jim, what do you see there? Um, you know, we had the words exciting. It was a lot of fun. And I know that that, you know, in a lot of the teams and coaches we work with, that we see that kind of enthusiasm when people seek out new challenges. What are your thoughts as Jim's talking there? Well, that's just such a great champion's mindset, you know, that um, champions love challenges. And uh, that's what gets us going. That's what gets us into flow states. And, um, and and you know, it can be a little scary being on that steep, <laughs> you know, this, this steep learning curve there. But um but it's fun having a mission to accomplish and uh, and something bigger than ourselves and then teaming up with others and like, oh man, you know, this area I need to learn more about and that area I need to learn more about. I love that. I mean, that's what makes us feel fully alive. So I love that you were willing to take some chances. And then, you know, like you said, you know, just being willing to learn as much as you can and have as much fun as possible during that journey. And I like how you, you know, explained it as a, a learning experience, you know, um, uh, we're either winning or learning as, you know, as, as we always say. And, and so, um, you know, you can't lose with that perspective. Um, tell, tell us more about the next steps then for you on, on your career path. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, just like any, uh, any athlete does when you get to the point where you finally arrive, you, you know, you get there. Well, there's always another there, there. (laughs) And and so I, I got there, right. Like about two and a half years into this business, I had gotten to a point where it was a, a successful, um, healthy business on a stable foundation. And I walked into my business coach. And again, I, I always, this has been a theme of my life, having coaches around me. I walked in, I sat down with my business coach one day and I told her, uh, I'm selling it. And she almost smacked me. She almost reached across the table and smacked me. She's like, what do you do? What do you mean you're selling it? You've been, I'll put all the work into like building this thing. So it was like successful and you've got all these recurring clients and all this stuff. And I, I was, I was bored. Um, and again, I, I look back again with perspective, you know, with, with, with wisdom and ex- with, with age and experience, you gain this wisdom and perspective. And, you know, I felt like I wasn't making an impact in the world like I wanted to. And, and, and I see now that that was, uh, not, not the, not the only way to see that, right? I owned a window cleaning business. We were doing, you know, home services type thing, but, um, but I was making an impact on people's lives. We had an amazing business. Our customer service model was like second to none in our professionalism. And, and, um, it was super exciting. We were in, in the employees, we were changing their lives and it was just a cool place to work for them, a healthy, good 
well-paying place to work for them. And, and I got bored with that. And, but, I, but I shouldn't have, I looking back, but, but no, you know, um, so I sold that. And I said, I want to create this marketing, sports marketing company and started a company called Riot Sports Marketing. And that was, uh, I, I went out and sought uh, an angel investor and I, I got some uh, investment and that was a new experience for me, new and hard and scary, but I got, I secured funding. And then I hired an overseas team in India to develop and to build this software. Again, all experience, things I've never done before in my life, but they were so, so exciting, so much fun, so scary and hard, but, but I love that, right? I was seeking this next challenge and, and this one didn't work out, right? I mean, I had clients, we had a great software, great tool, it was probably a little ahead of its time in terms of the technology, um, but it was um, it was a, it was a cool tool, uh, did some consulting as well along with it, but mostly it was this, it was really based on this technology. Um, and it just didn't grow at the, the pace that I needed it to, to pay for my growing family. And so, uh, you know, I got to the moment where I realized, and you know, you know, it goes back to that moment sitting on my couch going, okay, like I, I gotta pay the bill somehow. And, you know, scrolling past job, looking on Craig, Craigslist. That was the first place I thought I'd look, you know, start looking on Craigslist. And, you know, I'm like these jobs. I'm like, oh my gosh, like unpaid internships are on here. Paper boys. Like, no, like, like, you know, this is not where I was supposed to be. And, and, you know, I, I got to the point where I'm just looking back on my life and going, I've been on top before. I've been successful, you know, as an entrepreneur and as a coach and as an athlete. And, and what is the structure that was there in all these moments that, that I'm missing right now? And, and I'll share those. There, there's four things. There are four steps to this framework. And this is the foundation of my, of my coaching business now. So number one, you know, you look at people who, you know, especially world-class athletes, they they know what's important to them. Just like I could when I was competing. Like now I couldn't have stated my values then as core values like I can today, but I knew what I was driven by. Right? I wanted to be tough. I wanted to be disciplined. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to be respected. I wanted to go on to success after wrestling like these mentors and people who I looked up to. So that was number one. Like You have to have this deep sense of, of what you value and, and a deep sense of purpose. And, and number two, Jim, is, if I could interrupt real quick, that's please. window cleaning right there. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're providing clarity. Yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, and, and that, that was what we were doing for a lot of people, right? We were helping people there. Yeah. And, and so we had, you know, I had these, these, this, this value that I felt in that business, helping people, you know, helping customers, helping employees. And this was like this theme throughout all the times that I had been successful in my life. And then the second one is I had goals that aligned with those values. Not goals that align with my coach's values, my teammates' values, my parents' values, nobody else's but Jim's. And that allows you to be resilient, to be consistent. I know a lot of people struggle with those things, being resilient after a failure, being consistent, consistently executing the, the things that you know you need to execute. And I had those when I was wrestling. I mean, gosh, you know, I lost. You know, I, I took a bad loss of that Lincoln McElravey guy I talked about, like, and I bounced back an hour later and I had to wrestle another top rank guy. Like when you lose, when you fail, but your, your goals are aligned with your values, you know, losing doesn't change what's important to you. 
So I had these goals that aligned with the, the, with my values. And then the third piece of the four was I had, I call it the environment of excellence. I, I was surrounded by coaches who kick me in the ass if I needed a kick or help me course correct if I, that's what I needed. Um, I was surrounded by teammates. I was accountable to them. They were accountable to me. I had sports psychologists. I had a nutritionist. I had strength and conditioning coaches. I had an athletic trainer. You have this environment that's all around you, right? And, and that's so crazy. And by the way, you have to create that in the real world. It just happens by default for, for athletes it doesn't in the real world. You have to manufacture that. Um, the media that I listened to then, I, I didn't, you know, this is before podcasts and whatnot, but I, I, had, a, I had an audio that a, a family friend had recorded to me, a mindset audio. I would listen to it every night with my Walkman, you know, my, my tape cassette. Uh, I would listen to it before bed every night. Uh, I didn't watch much TV, but when I did, I was watching film of the world championships or national championships or breaking down film of myself or my opponents. So it's the media as part of the environment of excellence as well. And I also count the internal environment of the language that we use. And, and so I had this environment of excellence and, and, and that's all well and good, but, but if you don't have the fourth and final piece, none of it matters. And, and the fourth and final piece is this. You have to have a plan to follow through when the stuff hits the fan. Because guess what? It is. It will. I guarantee you it will. Like if I lost the match on Friday night, Coach McGovern would be like, hey, Jim, uh, 8 o'clock tomorrow morning, I'll see you in the weight room. You know, I'm sitting over in the corner licking my wounds, feeling sorry for myself. There's still a plan to follow through. We don't have that in the real world unless we create it. And you have to have a plan to follow through because guess what? Cars break down, kids get sick, global pandemics happen. And we have to have a plan, a system, a framework, an infrastructure to make sure that we follow through on these things, even on the days and the weeks and the months where we don't feel like it. And, and so that was, you know, going back to like, you know, the, the, the whole, you know, the question we started with is like, that was the moment, right? That was the lesson there in that second business or before I started that second business that, you know, changed my life. I, I started putting this stuff back in place and it completely transformed my life. And I put a curriculum together, started sharing it with people and they were implementing it and I was helping them implement it and it was changing their lives. And now I get to work with gosh, you know, Olympians and professional athletes and uh, executives and neurosurgeons and people a lot smarter than me <laughs> and helping them implement this into their lives and into their businesses. Super cool. Uh, uh, the, the third, uh, uh, number three, the third pillar for you. Uh, environment of excellence. Yeah. Environment of excellence reminds me of a, a real quick, a, a story of a a football player when I was working at Arizona State University, we worked early on uh, during his time there, his uh, freshman and, and sophomore year, and did a lot of good work, you know, some personal issues and, and, and performance issues. And um, he, he started rolling pretty well and, you know, rolling along. And anyway, uh, he, senior year, he comes into my office again. I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? You know, is everything okay? He's like, yeah, everything's great. And I'm like, well, what brings you in? Uh, you know, great to see you, but what brings you in today? And he said, well, I'm, I'm starting to realize that all these resources aren't going to be available to me when I graduate. So I want to take advantage of all these resources that I can you, the sports dietitian, you know, sport med docs, athletic trainers. I want to get as much as I can out of this experience as I can. And, that, and yeah, and it really reminds me of what you talked about. He had the foresight to realize like, you know, when I move on from here, from school, 
I'm going to have to create my own, but if I could take advantage of this now, you know, that's going to really give me a head start. And so mm-hmm. I love that, you know, someone doing really, really well that wants to do even better. And, and that's the perfect thing too, with, with the leadership work that you do and, and, and the high performance coaching is that there doesn't, you know, we know this, but, and, and it's a good reminder though, for everyone, I think is that things don't have to be going poorly in order to get better. And in fact, sometimes when things are going really well, that might be the best time to change. So, uh, but I, I love your- You should do this for a living, Jimmy, you know what? Well, (laughs) (laughs) it's fun. And, and, and what I, what I love about this is the more, you know, like Phil and I always say the same thing, you know, we love that, or we love this, or we, and you know, what I've realized is that the more you love something, the more it will reveal its secrets to you. And so we love this whole topic of high performance and more and more people are loving that. And that's why podcasts are really blown up. They want to hear genuine conversations and Hey, what's more important than values and goals and overcoming adversity and creating an excellent, you know, a, 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 you know, kind of this team of excellence around you. And that's how we could, uh, you know, whatever our craft is, will reveal more of its secrets to us. And that's the fun. That's the beauty of it all. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Do you think that um, as you were kind of having this this second reckoning, Jim, as you as you had, you know, during the sitting down and making that tough decision to walk away from coaching and into the this brave new world of entrepreneurship, that the the highs and lows showed you that that the process in life is never linear, even if we want it to be, and even if we do set firm goals and really work hard toward them. Yeah, there's a great quote by Steve Jobs. He said, we can't connect the dots in our lives looking forward. We can only connect them looking backwards. And yeah, in the moment, I would never have chosen so many of these experiences, certainly the failures. And, you know, I shared a couple of the big ones here today, but there's so many more in, in between those. And and they hurt and they suck and, and you don't wish for them. You wish for different things. But if not for them, I, I wouldn't have the the experience to do what what I'm doing now. And 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 so yeah, you you have to look back on those and and realize that they're part of my journey. They're part of my story. And and listen for the for the listener who's sitting there saying, I've got goals and I've had this goal for you know a year, three years, five years, ten years, and I just I, I just I'm not getting there. You are getting there. Right. If if you look at uh, uh, a graph of the the S and P five hundred or the stock exchange, any any of the stock exchanges, you're going to see it, it it goes up into the right, always, always has, and and you know, God willing, always will. And but if you zoom in closer, there's a lot of ups and downs in there, right? And, and on a, on a daily basis, weekly basis, yearly basis, and that's part of it. You know, when I when I was building this business, I was working as a major gift officer at my alma mater. I was a, a fundraiser raising the the big gifts for for athletics at the University of Virginia, and I was building this business on the side. And I, I remember I was 39 years old, and I was about a year or so into this business and doing some coaching on the side, and had discovered this framework that I just shared with you. And I said, man, by the time I hit my 40th birthday, I'm out of here. That was my goal. Wrote it out, visualized it, everything. 40th birthday came and went. Wasn't even close to being able to quit my job. You know, I knew I had a certain amount of savings and income and revenue. 41, that's my year. 41st birthday, I'm out of here. 41 came and went. Couldn't do it. 42, this is my year. 
42nd birthday came and went 43. This is the one 43rd birthday came and went. And it was after my 43rd short, shortly after my 43rd birthday before I could finally quit my job. Like I had to hold on to that vision, the failures and the struggle and the setbacks, even in building this business, they weren't enough to stop me because I, my, my goal was founded upon my core values, who I am and what the way I wanted to live my life and who I wanted to serve and how I wanted to serve and the type of family life that I wanted to have. I wanted to have the flexibility to, to go to Montana and spend a, a month with my family in the summer. We've done that the past two summers because I had this vision that was so powerful. And, and you know, my, my goals were built upon all these values it's hard. I, I know it's hard. And yes, it's not going to be a linear path. You're not going to be able to connect the dots moving forward, but just move forward. You don't have to, there's a great quote, but I think it's Martin Luther King Jr. said, you don't have to see the whole staircase, just the first step. Yeah. You touched on something there that you mentioned earlier as well, and not meaning to, to pry into your family life or your personal life at all, Please. but but you mentioned that you know, in considering these decisions, um, both to walk away from coaching and start the first business. And then when the second business wasn't working out as, as you wanted it to, and you started working through this four part framework that this wasn't just about your progression, either on the mental side or, you know, um, remuneration or anything, um, growth, it was also factoring in the family. So talk to us a little bit, because I know that, um, for anybody that's listening, that's, are driving and is wanting to pursue goals and is wanting to go all in that sometimes you can get so focused on that that it starts to exclude or minimize everything else and, and sometimes that can be relationally so if, if it's okay would you mind diving into that a little bit for us absolutely when i was wrestling i had a single-minded focus it, it, and it worked for me now yeah, and my goal was to be a national champion. I actually failed. I didn't get to be a national champion. I was all American, which is top eight in the country. But I had this single-minded focus on that. And I'll be honest, you know, I don't know if it's right or wrong to say this, but it's academics were second. Now, I got a master's degree. Uh, I, I was an academic all-American, right? All those things, you know, I had those priorities in line. But really, the number one goal, I mean, my life was wrestling, you know. And when I carried that into the real world, into coaching. And into my first and second businesses, that single-minded focus did not serve me. That single-minded focus did not include, it, it was about building the business and yeah, because it'll help my family and whatnot, but really it was that business. It was that success, achievement mindset in that one area. But now I know that that single-minded focus doesn't work in the real world. You have to have a balanced set of goals, right? I, now there are four areas where we set goals with my clients, relationships, self health and wealth and wealth slash work, like career goals. Okay. So those are the four areas. And without those, you, you know, you're going to tend to focus on one more than the other. Some people go all in on the health thing, right? And they're like running marathons and they're doing triathlons and all that at the expense of their family. Right. It's great. We hold them, put them up on a pedestal, go, man, wow, amazing. You know, that woman or that guy, he's, you know, doing these Ironmans and, and you don't know if that's tearing apart their family or not. You hope it's not, right? I have clients who are doing those things and, and they're not, you know, but they have these balanced, this balanced set of goals. But that's the shift that has to happen from, from athlete or from so, you know, just, you know, a single-minded entrepreneur to this balanced life, right? You have to have clear goals that align with those values in all of these 
areas. And if you don't, you risk the danger of, of going back to your default. And I'll be honest, my default is like win, 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 work hard, work hard. If it's not working, work even harder. If that's not working, well, just work harder. That's my default, but it's not, it's not a healthy default. So I have these, this, this framework and this infrastructure in place that helps me have balanced goals. And, you know, my relationship with my wife has never been better. And with my kids, I get to, you know, spend more time with my kids now than ever before. And, um, you know, we have a, we have a, a plan in place. The, 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 in terms of the personal, I think you mentioned family, health, wealth, and then personal goals. Yeah. Uh, relationships, self, health, and wealth. The okay. only one there is probably not self-explanatory is the self goal. And, and the way I define that is either growth or impact or fun. So growth, like learning a new exactly. skill, developing a new hobby, taking, you know, getting a new certification or degree. Uh, impact might be volunteering or philanthropy or fun is just things that are just fun, right? That you used to do when you were younger, but now you have, you know, family, kids, business, job, career, mortgage, and you don't do that thing anymore. Well, that's, that's a, a fun goal. So that's under the umbrella of self. What one, uh, very successful leader that I'm working with, he, uh, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that because he's, uh, he said, I need to start enjoying the fruits of life more because he's win, 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 win. And, you know, one of his, his you know, his, his main value is family and then, and, and work. And, you know, he also supports his family through his work, but yeah, so it's, uh, and, and healthy does a pretty good job of, you know, staying fit and, and, and working hard, but uh, there's almost this guilt factor in terms of like uh, really enjoying the spoils of victory. Um, yeah. That's something that you probably see as well a lot. Yeah. I have a client. As a matter of fact, he, uh, when he came to me a few years ago, he's 55 years old, retired, very, very successful in the banking industry. And he didn't have to do anything else. And he came to me because he's like, I need to do something, Jim. Like I can't just like sit on this money and my time and, and not do anything. He still had a lot of productive years left in his life, but the, through the work that we did, we had to go pretty deep to figure this out. But what we realized was he was afraid to start the next thing because he knew he was going to go all in again and miss out on the fun things that he likes to do. So what we did, we, we, had, we set his fun goals. We literally mapped them out over the course of the next year. Like one of them was work with uh, Cody Lundin. He does this. Cody Lundin was on like the Discovery Channel. He did the uh, Dual Survivor. If anybody's ever watched that TV show, it's not on anymore. But Cody Lundin does these like desert survival courses. And he's like, so he signed up for one of those. They do a seven-day desert survival course with this guy. Um, signed up for, uh, bought a couple plane tickets and made reservations for these international trips that he wanted to do. And, and he put all those things in place on the calendar. And then together, we started his next endeavor. We started a, a, a new business or he started a new business. And, um, and but he, he, he knew that, that was what was missing with, with his life. And he was going to go all in on something again. He was going to lose out on, you know, family and, and the fun things that he likes to do. Yeah, for sure. Are there any red flags that you have personally where you start to see those four areas of, of goal setting get, getting out of alignment? And, and if so, um, what are your correctives there? Yeah, I've got a red flag. It's my wife. I call her, I call it my red flag is my wife. <laughs> you know, I know, right? Like, 
there are going to be periods, listen, there, you know, people talk about balance and there's this whole sort of debate out in the world now, is it work-life integration or is it work-life balance? But, you know, listen, we're all talking about the same thing here. You know, um, sometimes, you know, if you're an accountant, you're going to be busy during tax season, right? So your days are not going to be balanced. Maybe your weeks are not going to be balanced, but over the course of time, you know, you're going to make, maybe you're working, you know, 15 hour days for a month or two, but then you're going to maybe take some extra time off in the summer or after that. Right. So over time things balance, but, um, but for me, absolutely. I, I just know it in my gut. If things are going to can go out of balance. Um, I, my wife will be a, a, a red flag for me. I mean, it's just, that's really the most important part. You know, when, when that is out of balance, nothing else matters, right? If, you know, if that's not in a healthy place, it's so hard for me to enjoy my workouts. It's so hard for me to enjoy the fun goals that I have or, or even the business growth and things like that. So, so I have those in place. I have a coach just like, uh, just like all my clients have a coach. I, I have a coach as well. Um, so that's another checkpoint for me. And, um, and I check in on my goals. So I, I, one of the things that I do with my clients, and I think this is really important for the listeners to hear is, um, Goals are, are sort of these further long long term things, right? They may be a year or three years or five years out or even longer. But what about now? Like what about in the month of April or May or June? Like what are you working on now? Like what, what's the micro goal? And so you take these, these, these goals and you identify the very clear thing. Okay, in, in the month of, of June, I need to be working on X, right? It's like maybe one or two or three bullet points, like specific action items, make this phone call, sign up for this uh, program or buy this tool. Those are the specific things that you can work on now. So when you get really clear on those things, and by the way, some of those things might be schedule the getaway for, for me and my wife. You know, it's going to take place in three months or something like that. Or it might be, um, you know, sign up for the Spartan race, you know, that's going to take place six months from now. And, and those are the micro goals. Those are the small things that take, you know, the, the values that are based on the vision that you have for your life uh, that, you know, narrow that, that down a little bit narrower to the, the goals to narrow that down to the micro goals. And those micro goals can literally be things you can do today. Yeah, super important. And Jim, that plays into what we talk a lot, a lot about goal setting, because I've heard you say that same thing pretty closely, right? In terms of um, what's possible now might be a good way to frame that. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and, and two, it's, it's sometimes it's easy to get overwhelmed by our dream goal. And so that's why I like the micro goals. And then sometimes it's easy to get stuck in, in the micro goals. And that's why we need to remember what are we really truly going mm -hmm. after and, and remember our big goal. So we kind of have to toggle back and forth between the micro and the macro goals. But um, I think it's good. I mean, it, again, it's, uh, I think what you do and what we all need to do is better job of window cleaning for ourselves in terms of, you know, getting that clarity. What do we want? What do we really, really want? Um, and then, you know, what are the steps that are going to help us to achieve those things? And, and I like what you said is, um, you know, it, 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 quoting Martin Luther King is just take that first step, you know, and, um, and then see where the next step and then the next step goes. Um, 
Uh, too often, uh, you know, we have the backswing kind of like, you know, if you're thinking about golf, but we don't always follow through with what we say. And so one of the things I really like is uh, 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 one of my favorite quotes is from Sergei Bubka, the famous uh, pole vaulter from Russia. And he said that um, do it and then say it. A lot of us say it and then don't do it. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, this is a call to action. Um, it's not just, you know, philosophical discussions. Uh, about high performance it's about you know get your feet moving and keep them moving yeah um i'm really curious how that applied jim when you were so you're working at the university um trying to secure these large donations and then i'm guessing some some nights some weekends whenever you could fit it in maybe some early mornings um to try and you know get as you called it at the time this side hustle up and going so can you take us into just the realities of that period where you had trains running on two separate tracks yeah so i i knew that at that point that i had to stay balanced like i was not going to sacrifice time with my family to build this business. I also didn't want to sacrifice my health and like, okay, I'm not going to work out anymore. I'm just going to work on my business at every spare moment that I have. No, I, I wanted to have it all. And, and I figured out a way to do it. And, and that was, you know, waking up early and, and certain days working on my podcast, working on my business, coaching my clients, uh, would spend a lot of my lunch breaks, co you know, doing coaching. And then, uh, the workouts, uh, I had to, I developed a plan for the minimum effective dose for my workouts, right? So I, I wanted to run a marathon. I wanted to do Spartan races, but I said, I didn't say no to them. I said, not yet or not now. And I put those off and I said, if I stay focused on these things, I, I will get there. And so I, I worked early in the morning. I would wake up at five in the morning and, you know, I, I'd work for a couple of hours, an hour and a half or so before the family woke up. And then it was, it was go time for the rest of the day. Uh, here's one thing that happened. It was early on in the business and maybe about, you know, six months or nine months after I started the podcast and I had already been doing a little bit of coaching of this framework with some people and, and, you know, I always preach the value of relationships and, and family being first. And my daughter, who was, uh, my youngest daughter was about, uh, three years old at that time. And she said, um, uh, or she, she came down one morning at like five 15 in the morning. I'm like, she's not supposed to be awake yet. Like, this is my time when I work on my business, you know, this is like, she's cutting into this and, and I could have very easily, my, my, my first inclination was like, oh, I'll just turn the TV on hit play or, you know, and, and she can watch something and I'll stay here and keep working on my business. And I said, wait a second. Like, that's not the point of this thing. The point of this thing is to actually spend time with the people I care about most. So, you know, I closed my computer and I went down and I, I sat down and we played Lincoln Logs and, and played on the floor for the next hour together. And it's like, I'm so grateful. I, I still think about that moment. Like I said no to my business and I said no to my podcast. My podcast that week, it launched a day late. So be it. Does anybody know? Did you guys know? You probably, you probably never knew, right? <laughs> you know, it's like nobody knew. You know, very few people knew that my podcast launched a day late that week, you know? So, you know, you've got to, it was hard, you know, it was a grind. Um, you know, if I ever had to put a ball down, I knew which balls I could put down and I chose to put certain balls down. Right. Um, I got my workouts in a lot of them were 10 to 15 minute high intensity interval training workouts. You know, um, I would do one long, hard workout per week and the other ones were very short. And then, you know, on the day I, I 
quit my job, I signed up for a marathon. Actually, I signed up for a Spartan race first, did that. And then I signed up for a marathon, did a marathon uh, the year after that. And it was just a process. It was hard. There was a lot of doubt. There were failures. There were setbacks. There were certain things where I, I did them and I said, this is going to work for my business. So for example, I went all in on like running Facebook ads to drive leads from my business and spent a lot of time and a lot of money. And at the, in the end, it didn't work. And it was like, it was like, okay, back to square one. How do I generate leads? You know? And it was, uh, it was hard. Uh, there was a lot of struggle, but I also created a mastermind group at that point. Um, I reached out to one person who I knew was kind of in the same line of work as me. And together he and I identified a third person and a fourth and a fifth. And we're still together today, about eight years later, nine years later, uh, 10 years later, gosh, uh, we we're still together, masterminding, sharing ideas, and, and we all help each other. And it just goes back to the environment of excellence. Very cool. How did you, during that period, deal with the the issue of gold deferment that you you talked about earlier? So you said, all right, it's next birthday, giddy up, right? I'm, I'm cutting it over. I'm out of here. And it, and it came and went. And then it happens again and again. So mentally, how did you process that um, at the time and now looking back at it in hindsight? Yeah, it was discouraging. Uh, just to be frank, it was discouraging. It was hard. Um, it created doubt. Um, but when you go back to the framework that I was living by at that point, and I still live by, is I knew what I valued. I knew that I wanted to spend more time with my family. I was in a great job. I had my dream job. I was flying on the private university, private jet. And I was going to the final four and I was going to the NCAA wrestling championship. I was getting paid to do this stuff. Like it was such a great job, but I was traveling. I was working a lot of nights and weekends. And uh, I knew that that wasn't my, the, the, the way that I wanted to live my life. And so uh, my, my values allowed me to be resilient. My values allowed me to be consistent. My, I, I even got, uh, I, I'm not a morning person. Right? Apparently, I, I, I've never felt like a morning person. And I, had, I got a DNA test. You can do these DNA tests. <clears throat> I actually had one of these companies reach out to me and they can tell you, you know, your ideal wake up time, the ideal diet and all these different things, right? And one of the things they told me actually revealed the results on my podcast. And they said, uh, you're not a morning person. Your ideal wake up time is between like 7 and 8 a.m. I'm like, well, well, darn it. Um, I, I, I gotta, I'm, I'm building this business on the side. I need to wake up at five and four 30 some days. And that's what I did. And that's what I had to do is, is to, to do the hard things, um, to wake up at four 30 and, and keep grinding this thing out because what I valued didn't change when my 39th or my 40th and 41st and 42nd and 43rd birthdays came. And I, and I still hadn't achieved my goal. Didn't change but it was important to me. It didn't change my values. And, and I wish I could tell you it was easy. And every day I woke up with a smile. Uh, I wish I could tell you that becoming an all American wrestler was easy. And every day I woke up with a smile, but it wasn't, you know, and, and for all the athletes Jim works with, it's the same way. The, these athletes, we see them on top of the podium. We see these entertainer, entertainers on, on the stage. Uh, we see these business leaders ringing the bell on New York Stock Exchange, we see how successful they are. And we think, ah, man, it, it must be so easy for them, but it's hard for me. No, it's not. You pull back the curtain on their lives and it's, it's struggle, it's failure, it's doubt, but they keep going and they have an infrastructure, a framework that's in place in their lives. It's this framework that I just shared. They may know it, they may not know it, but this is in place. When you look at Navy SEALs, you look at New York Times bestselling authors, 
you look at Olympians and professional athletes, this framework is in place. It is a universal framework. And when you, when you miss those goals and you, you have to defer the goal for another freaking year, it sucks, but you're able to get up one more time every time. Yeah, it's really hard hitting, Jim. What's uh, I know there's a lot of things we talk about offline that that just got brought to the surface. There, what stands out to you? Well, I think that you fall in love with uh, with with the struggle, uh, you know, and that really is what makes it special. Um, and um, and you know, there's going to be way more grunt work than glitter and anything big, you know, that you want to accomplish. And so finding a way to, um, you know, get mean, you know, get some meaning out of that and, and some enjoyment out of that. And then, you know, being part of a team going through that, uh, really helps. Uh, one, it, it just remind me of one athlete that I worked with. I, uh, a lot of athletes actually come to me for conditioning. They're like, yeah, my sport, you know, I can handle my sport. I'm not, you know, like, let's say they move from high school to college. Like, you know, I'm not used to how hard this conditioning is, the strength and conditioning that we're doing. And uh, remember one top softball player, she said, uh, I said, how do you get through the tough conditioning? And she said, you know, all my teammates were all in it together. And so it's shared suffering. And that shared suffering gives us meaning together and helps us to bond and, and, and makes us stronger. And so, um, yeah, you got to fa- fall in love with, with the journey or, you know, or, you know, you're not going to be really happy when you get to the destination. So, um you know, and, and some of that's gallows humor. Some of that, you know, remind me, Phil, of what uh, some of the, what is it, the British humor in terms of like, you know, my legs are really killing me today. Well, at least my arm hurts too. Oh, yeah, you know, it was but, it was actually, yeah, it was Eric Weimeyer, the yeah. um, the alpinist oh, right. and, you know, that's adventure right. racer and everything. He's, he's legally blind. And yeah, it's one of um, one of his companions on his Everest trip. And they did, they did manage to summit and, uh, yeah, it, it was, you know, they'd be at 19,000 feet and it'd be, man, it's freezing up here, but at least it's windy, that kind of thing. So, yeah, pos- I think they're called positive pessimisms was what the guy termed it. So we all need some positive pessimisms along the way for sure. And that's why I think a lot of, you know, great leaders and great performers and all of us need to take, uh, you know, a page out of their book in terms of having a great sense of humor, you know, and uh, because it is going to be hard, like you said, Jim. Yeah, definitely. Um, Jim, you mentioned a misstep tactically in terms of, you know, the and a lot of people have probably used the Facebook ad black hole and then just revenue and time gets sunk into it. Um, were there any other strategic missteps that, that now you look back on and you think, wow, that was another example of how failure actually benefited me and, and taught me something that I was able to use later? Yeah, I think... I overlooked the value of my network. And, you know, when I, when I look back at how this company really started and, and now I have four coaches who are under me helping coach. And uh, I brought in a partner who's helping to deliver to some of the big corporations that we're delivering to now. And um, we're working with Spartan race, for example, and some other amazing fast growing companies. And, you know, I, I, I it all started with people who I knew and, and, and who knew me, right? And not necessarily my close friend network, uh, but that sort of second and third level of my network. So people who I'd interacted with in, in a prior life, right? In prior, prior industry, prior job, or people who I had been, had been an acquaintance with, 
you know, long ago, or maybe I just met them in passing at an event or something like that. That became the foundation of my business and the referrals. You know, when you do good work, people refer you. And when you do good work, people keep coming back to you. And I overlooked that, right? I wanted to throw money at the problem, but really uh, it was about the relationships that I already had. And, and I'm a, I, I love relationships. I'm a relationship guy. And so, you know, it, it's actually enjoyable for me to do business development. I love business development. It's all, all it means to me is like, go connect with people and, and love on people and, 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 you know, build relationships and strengthen existing relationships and develop new ones. And that's like, that's fun and enjoyable for me. So, so I'd say that was a, just a, a misstep early on. If I can go back and talk to myself, be like, Jim, the, the solution's right in front of you. It's the people who you already know and, and who already know you and just develop that network and keep connecting with people and let them know what you're doing. And, and, um, and that would have made things a lot easier for me. Yeah. Um, when you, when you had Greg McKeown on the author of effortless and essentialism recently, obviously we're all familiar with his work and, um, you know, try to apply it as best we can. Were, were there any light bulbs around non-essentialism in your own life or your career that, um, either now or in the past that you, when you were talking to Greg and rereading his books that you thought, Oh man, there's another wake up call. <laughs> sure. You know, um, you know, we are, everybody listening to this podcast right now and in the three of us talking right now as well, we're doers. We like to do, right? We're, we're go-getters. We make things happen. And, and when, when so often people will wake up and do the same thing today for no better reason than that's what they did yesterday. And then they'll wake up tomorrow and do the same thing tomorrow for no better reason than that's what they did today. And so I started asking the world-class performers that I get to interview on the podcast, on my podcast, and started asking them, what's, what's one habit that you have done over the years that you most feel sets you apart? And for the New York Times bestselling author, you would think they would say some kind of writing habit, right? Or, and for the professional athlete, you would think that they would tell you it was some kind of uh, training habit, right? And, you know, training routine. But it's never the thing that you would expect. It's always some version of, of like journaling or working with a coach or doing some kind of retreat or doing some kind of reflection. And I started hearing this over and over. And then I asked myself, like, well, what if I asked myself that question? Like when I was wrestling, what was the most valuable, for example, one hour that I spent all season long? It wasn't in the weight room, wasn't in the watching film or in the wrestling practice room. It was like the one hour that I sat down and spent with my coaches beginning of the season to plan my year, to set the goals and create an action plan. Like that was the most valuable time spent the entire year. And so, so I've, I've coined a term called the productive pause. That's what all this is. This is a pause. This is pulling back. This is getting off of the treadmill of life. And here's the definition of a productive pause. A productive pause is a short period of focused reflection around specific questions that leads to clarity of action and peace of mind. Clarity of action and peace of mind. Like that's what we all want. We want to know what's the plan and am I doing the right thing? Because if I'm doing the right thing, I, you know, I can rest easy at night and I can have confidence and I, can, I know I'm advancing in my life. Clarity of action and peace of mind. And that's, that's effortless, right? That's essentialism. When you go back to those two concepts that, that Greg McEwen wrote about, it's about stepping back and asking yourself the questions. 
instead of just launching headlong into the thing, ask yourself the questions. In the military, they call it an after action review, right? After a mission, they get everybody together and say, hey, what went well? What didn't go well? What would we do differently? Like literally, if you just ask yourself those three questions once a week, you would probably double your productivity, if not more, because you'd be working on the right things. And, you know, when I was building my business on the side and I only had a very, very limited amount of time, maybe, maybe 10 hours a week to work on this thing, I had to ask myself, what's essential? If I just woke up every day and just grinded and tried to grind harder, I would have never gotten here. But instead, I, periodically, I, I would step back and say, what's my highest value work? And what can I hand off to somebody else? And I started building replicable and profitable systems, going back to the concept I talked about earlier. And so I hired a guy very, very early on in my business and passed off a lot of the work to him. He's still with me. And then I hired another person and then another person. And so I have four people who work for me in, in addition to the coaches who they take, they, they do a lot of the, the, the other work that I don't like to do, that they're really good at. And, and so by asking myself those questions, like what's my highest value work? My gym's highest value work is relationship building and delivering coaching and consulting. And, and that, that concept of the productive pause is if there's such a thing as a secret to success, that's it. If you want to be successful as an athlete, call Jim Aframo because that work is, it's not doing, he's not going to say, he's not going to uh, pull you through sprints. He's not going to tell you how much, you know, how many reps to do with how much weight in the weight room. He's not going to give you agility exercises. He can probably give you all that stuff. But the value of the work that you can do with a guy like Jim is stepping back and answering hard questions, creating a plan, getting clarity of action and peace of mind. Oh, that's so good. Well, this has been wonderful, Jim. We really appreciate all your insight and hope we can run it back for a part two soon. Um, could you let everyone know where they can find the podcast, where they can find um, any new courses or offerings that you get? And as you said, where they can connect and most importantly, build a relationship with you. Yeah, sure. Success Through Failure is the name of the podcast. If you go to any podcast platform and uh, just search for my name, Jim Harshaw, or Success Through Failure, you'll find it. Um, 350 episodes just about now um, over the course of the last seven or so years. Uh, JimHarshawJr.com is my website. Again, if you just Google my name, you'll find my website. And uh, if you want to have a conversation, I offer free one-time clarity calls. Uh, that's at JimHarshawJr.com slash apply. And of course, on social media, you can find me on any platform. Yep. And root for the Cavaliers. And go Cavaliers. That's go right. Cavaliers. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. This has been wonderful. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate your time and insight. And no one's living more of a champion's life than you are. So thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends about the Champion Conversations podcast and rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your platform of choice. You can also follow Jim on Twitter at Gold Medal Mind. Go out and be a champion today, and we'll see you back here next week.